Uh, if you've got a Bible near you, and you do, open it up to the beginning to Genesis chapter 2. You can find that on page 2. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Joe Watson, who preached for me last weekend, and Pastor Kelly Crabb on Saturday uh, as well. Uh, I had a respiratory virus, and uh, I had COVID a year ago on Father's Day weekend, which meant that I got to watch the entire U.S. Open. It was great. <laughs> and this year, I had something that wasn't that, that was actually much worse for me, at least, and it was great because I got to watch the entire U.S. Open. That's how I spent Father's Day. So, Anyway, uh, we're here today to talk about the conclusion of our sermon series. Maybe you heard me say that when the sermon, or when the service began, on the road with Jesus, and we've been with him on the mountaintops, we've been with him and seen, for that matter, how he's with us in the valleys, and today our last stop on the road with Jesus is in a garden. We heard Jesus say, John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. And so let's, let's dive right in. Jesus shows us three things in the scriptures before us today. First, he shows us our future. What is to come for you and for me who trust in him. Then second, we're going to look at how that becomes our future. Christian or non-Christian, how it can be your future. And then thirdly, the difference that that makes today for us in the present. The future, how it becomes our future, and what difference that makes for us. So first, to our future. Now, uh, before we talk about our future, what we really need to do is to go all the way back to the beginning and talk about how all of our stories begin. You probably know that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and that he puts Adam and Eve in a garden. What's the name of the garden where he puts Adam and Eve? It's the Garden of Eden. All right, maybe you remember that. If you grew up in church, it's obvious to you, but you may not know this something I didn't know just till recently, that Eden is a Hebrew word that means pleasure and delight. The garden of pleasure. The garden of delight. Let's pick up in chapter 2. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. All right, let's pause right here. We've got a garden, and in that garden is a river. Uh, that becomes the source of four rivers that flow in every direction to water the earth. Uh, two of these rivers are named in just a moment that are familiar to us in modern-day Iraq, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. And there's a tree. Well, for that matter, there's not just one tree, the tree of life, but there are two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and everything changes for Adam and for Eve and for you and for me when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cursed by death and pain in childbirth, and labor in our work, and brokenness in our families, and in our own hearts. Everything changes. Here's what happens at the end of chapter 3. It says this, The Lord God said, 
Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Dot, dot, dot. It's sort of like a cliffhanger right here. Like, now what? Instead, God changes the subject. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, that's the name of an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And you could argue that all of our sin, still today, is an attempt to define good and evil for ourselves, to put ourselves in God's seat, and to justify the evil that we do and to call it good. In our own hearts. That's what we did a few moments ago when we made a list. By the way, Pastor Micah just gave us like 14 milliseconds to like reflect on our sin. Did you notice that? Like I was still getting my mental list out of my pocket before he was like, you know, apparently you must have had a good holy week in Honduras or something. It's all an attempt to define good and evil for ourselves. That everything we delight in and everything we take pleasure in is an attempt to simulate in some way the home that we lost, the home that we long for. So if this is how our stories begin, how do they end? Let's talk now further about our future. Flip with me to the next to last page of the Bible, page 1041 if the, from the Bible in front of you, and we're going to look closely at the verses of Gen- Revelation chapter 22. In the chapter right before this, we've already met the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which is the people of God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, when heaven comes down to earth and we're united with Jesus. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Let's start there. <clears throat> It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. So the river in the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. All right, so we've got a city, but it's a garden city. This is like Central Park in the middle of the city, and there's a tree, one tree, not two trees, but it's in two locations on both sides of the river, and which tree do we find here of the two trees that we found in the book of Genesis? Which tree is here? The tree of life. I think there's a physical tree. The tree of life in a physical heaven. And this tree has fruit. It's evergreen every month, has fruit for the healing of the nations. It's a way of saying there's no more physical lack and there's no more spiritual need or want. This is like Psalm 23, but finally fulfilled. And what else is it? There's no curse. Verse 3 No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Verse 4. 
What's this? Uh, this is the fulfillment of what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. You know, chapter 13 is the chapter about love, and it says there, seems like a non sequitur where Paul says, oh, by the way, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Now we see dimly as in a mirror, but then on this day, we will see face to face. The one we long for, the one we are waiting for, the lover of our souls, they will see his face. Verse five, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Remember that they here is not just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, this is the people of God who reign with God himself. And this is what we saw at the very beginning too in chapter two where God makes us in his image and he's inviting his image bearers to rule in creation with him. Zoom out. What do we find here? A garden, a river, a tree. And the story of God's redemption is coming full circle. It ends right where it begins in a garden. The first one was fragile. But the final one goes on forever and ever. And so the scriptures are saying that this is your future. In the garden, in the presence of God, physical heavens and earth, face to face with God himself. How does that become your future? Christian or not a Christian, How can you take your place in this garden forever? And the answer is by a tree. Galatians chapter three. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse. Remember, no longer will there be anything accursed. Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us For it is written, this is a reference to Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. The curse, it's the death of Jesus on the wooden tree of the cross that becomes the tree of life for you. You remember the sword in front of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are exiled, flashing back and forth to keep us out of the garden. That on the cross, Jesus Christ goes under the sword and takes its curse to let you in. Oh, my friends, we're just getting started. We got two more stops. Look at this. John chapter 19, the the death of Jesus when he's buried. It says this. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Okay, maybe familiar. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a what? Garden. You know that? You ever realize that? And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. That even the location of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is in 
a garden. One more stop, we're not done yet. Mary, on the day of resurrection, said to the angels, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the what? The gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. John writes these words somewhere about 50 AD. And that's somewhere about 45 or 50 years before he will see the garden and the revelation that God gives him that we now call the end of the scriptures and for that matter, the beginning of heaven that goes on forever. Buried in the ground like a seed in the garden and raised from the dead imperishable and immortal. It's through Jesus Christ who took the curse on himself on the tree of the cross. This is how God secures your future. At the risk of mixing metaphors, I love the way the 17th century George Herbert says this, that death used to be an executioner. But the gospel has made him just a gardener. It's tamed him. It's just a gardener. It could bury you in the ground, but it'll only raise you imperishable and immortal, bound to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus. That's how this becomes your future. So before we close, the question we have to ask ourselves, if, if that's someday, what about today? And what about our lives here and now until that day? Let's go to John chapter 15. You can find that on page 901. And Jesus says here, uh, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's the vine, we're the branches. Whether our lives are fruitful or unfruitful, we should all expect pruning. Uh, I was all prepared to show you uh, pictures of my garden because I've just about a year ago, for the first time, planted a garden, was raising tomatoes. I learned how to prune tomatoes. And then on Thursday afternoon, I came home to this. I know, and I'm so sad. It's shredded. And there's no way to tell at this point, you know, 48 hours later, whatever, to tell if I'm going to get any fruit. I've got some cucumbers in the bed behind this one. It might be okay. And some raspberries that are pretty hardy. But, but there's no way to tell how fruitful my garden will be. No way to measure it at this point. Got to wait. What about us together as the church? How do you measure the fruitfulness of a church? The institutional health of a church. I think there are ways that we can do that. From the personal, let's step aside from that and talk about how this works for us corporately as the people of God today. I think you can count fruit 
Jesus counted loaves and fishes. I think it's possible to count people. Uh, Right now, at our Father, our in-person attendance is approaching what it was before the pandemic. Uh, We were about 650 a weekend. Now we're somewhere around 560 people a weekend through the month of May. Okay, what does that mean? Add to that 150 to 200 people a weekend who are watching from home. That's 200 to 150, somewhere in that range, individual devices, not knowing how many people are watching from home at each one of those individual devices. That's way more than 650 when you put all those numbers together. By the way, let me tell you, if you're watching from home and you can be here in person, watching from home, though it's nice with your cup of coffee, it's no substitute for being here in person. Would you agree, my friends? All right, so they agree, whether you can hear them on the microphone or not. (laughs) Might be a little biased, but that's right. Okay, we can count people, because we can see people. That matters. We can count dollars, because we can see them, and we can feel them. Uh, Right now, thanks to your generosity, uh, we're going to have a very strong year that we're going to close and begin a new year financially. Uh, We gave away more than $215,000 to our mission partners. You're going to hear about one of them in the offering. There are some churches who are $215,000 in the red. God's been so good to us. And those things matter, things that we can see and count. They are marks of institutional health, but the church is far more than an institution. It's an institution that exists for the sake of the movement of the spirit of God's people. And so we've been hearing things that we can't really count, but things that we can repeat. We've been hearing stories of people who are experiencing the kingdom of God in all sorts of new ways. We've been telling their stories on our podcast. You'll hear about a couple of those in just a moment. And stories of people who are experiencing extraordinary life. You can count it, sure. You can share it, absolutely. Uh, Every summer, there are a couple people who work with us here at Our Father who grow zucchinis that are like the size of my leg and bring them and leave them on the table. (laughs) Because they're really easy to grow, I guess. You know, really easy to share. You know, our mission here, if you've been around, you've heard us talk about this. It's helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. There's a head part of that and a heart part of that knowing stuff. And there's, a, there's an inward part and an outward part of that sharing stuff. And so we've been gathering stories for the last year of people who have told us about their strength and their confidence in the midst of their grief and sadness dealing with a terminal brain tumor. And there are people who have shared with us how they've been praying for Christian friends because they were lonely and how God answered their prayer to their own surprise in ways they never expected in friendships that are deeper and wider than they ever thought possible. We've been collecting stories. We've just started doing that. Not just simply sharing them, but there's a way that you can do that on your website right now. We did this thing in the month of May called Loving Your Neighbor, and you can go and share your story about simple ways that you're doing that. Here's what somebody who wrote in and gave us permission to share shared with us. I've been thinking a lot lately about my neighbors and how their life struggles and my own struggles are shaping my faith journey. It's not an easy thing to do to open up and befriend someone that God places in our lives. 
But I did get out of my comfort zone and started talking to a mom at my son's baseball practice. Then the next time I saw her at practice, she came up to me and started talking to me and said she was glad I was at practice because she likes talking to me. Then our third time at practice, she told me that her husband of 20 years was leaving her and wants a divorce. I could tell she was suffering. So I listened to her vent. I asked if she was a Christian, and she said, no, I've never been into religion. But each time we see each other at practices or games, I listen to her, and then at the end of every conversation, I tell her that I'll be praying for you and for your family. Months have passed now since we have become friends. And she still reaches out to me and is opening and is open to letting me not pray for her, but pray with her now. How do you measure the fruitfulness of a church? You can count it, sure. And share it. Absolutely. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Because today, the church on earth on a good day is God's garden on earth. Where the world gets a glimpse of the future in the present through you. From a garden to a garden, in the present and for the future. Now and forever, amen.